We have legendary news and a grand interview, plus much more. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Bar Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 197 of the Indie Bar Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and I just realized something that. This week is 197. That means next week's going to be 198, and the week after that is going to be 199. Yes, I can count. It's very impressive that I can count up that high. But I just realized we're going to ring in the new year with the 200th episode, which is kind of cool. timing on that? Yeah. It's it's pretty cool timing. I just found that interesting. We did not intend for that. Yeah, no, just sometimes things work out that way, and it's a funny happenstance. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. The week we get an interview, we actually probably had enough discussion points where we could have stretched this out. But we do have an interview. I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a bit, but we're going to get to the two news items first. But yeah, we actually have some news. We got some stuff going on this week. So it's uh, it's pretty nice to see uh, this close to Christmas and actually having news to talk about. Yeah, it's a solid week of news, I think. Kind of managerial and broadcasting type of news to tease it a little bit, but I, um, yeah, I think the, the fact that the first episode of 2023 is going to be number 200, uh, that's how that's some pretty awesome timing. But to be honest with you, I, I think that, uh, it was not planned at all on yeah. either of our ends. So but I'll take it though. I'll yeah. take the credit for it. That's <laughs> nearly, uh, nearly four years worth of episodes at this point. So. Uh, we're we're closing in on the ultimate goal of 365 and That's beyond. Right. But sure. so, well, I guess we'll open it up with uh, the Legends' new manager hire. Uh, this is one that they announced, technically speaking, on Thursday, but they never really formally announced it until really end of day Thursday, like around 10:30, 11 o'clock at night. And part of the reason for that is I think the social media people at the Atlantic League and the Legends kind of forgot about it because I was going through and making my list of everything to see what news we'd have for the show. And uh, I noticed, oh, wow, Lexington hired a, a new manager, but I didn't see Ryan tweet about it. I didn't see the league tweet about it. I didn't see the team tweet about it. I didn't see anyone post anything about it. And I didn't see it on the team's page. But it was on the Atlantic League website, so I was like, ah, what the hell? I'll go ahead and tweet it out. And then I found out apparently you cannot call a manager a ball coach in professional baseball. I didn't realize <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah. So long and short is they hired Barry Lyons, seven-year Major League Baseball veteran, to be the, uh, I guess, head skipper is a redundant phrase, but we're going to use it anyway. Um, Can you use skipper? Is skipper okay to use? I assume. I mean... Like, you call manager Skip, so, you know, I feel like it'd work. Uh, well, yeah, and he spent seven other years in professional baseball. He's part of a coalition to help bring a baseball team to Biloxi, Mississippi, now known as the Biloxi Shuckers, double-A team, for the Milwaukee Brewers, just in case you were curious. And, uh, yeah, so now he's going to come in here, and he's going to... Uh, be managing the legends in case you're wondering because the last name lion sounds familiar because it was kind of familiar to me and it's also mentioned at the uh bottom here of the press release 
that uh, Barry is technically the new Lexington Legends owner's uncle. So Nathan Lyons is related by blood to Barry Lyons. I imagine that's part of the reason why this hiring occurred so quickly, seeing as there appears to be no other real operational staff in place yet in Lexington. I imagine after the holidays, we'll see a lot more people get announced on that front because Lyons isn't taking over Barry, that is, in his managerial capacity until January. So I imagine they probably have some people up. It's just they're not officially listed yet or that they're going to be really getting the hiring going in the new year. But yeah, Barry Lyons is going to be in and the Legends have a new manager. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting hire. Uh, the the family ties are, are evident, as you as you mentioned, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. As far as far as resume wise, he's been in the game a long time, which is which is good. Uh, and you know, he played. Of of course, he played for uh, played in the big leagues for quite a few years. Uh, was a, was a, his only managerial experience was uh, was three years in the minors, so. He has managed before. It just hasn't been for a while. Yeah. So, and it's a lot more of it has been on the, how lately has been on the broadcast ownership side. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I don't want to slam any sort of hire because like at the end of the day, uh, there's so much like without, you know, we don't know. Uh, and it's you're kind of guessing on a lot of these as well. It's just I don't know if they're. I feel like they could have done better. Uh, mm. And just because there's not really a lot of managerial or coaching uh, experience, there's just a lot of front. I mean, of course, he played, he managed for three years, and he was like more in the in the front office and uh, uh, and like broadcasting end of things. So, I really do think there's going to be a learning curve here uh, with Lions and Lexington, which is fine because, I mean, there's other men, like, for example, first-time managers who have some sort of learning curve. But I, I don't know. It's it's an inch, it's an odd one to me, but I guess it's not so odd when you learn about the, the family ties to it. But I guess I'm not the biggest fan of the hire, but I don't want to go out- outwardly slam it because how can you totally, like, slam a managerial hire? But... I think that it's it's interesting. I'll put it that way. Also, I think you raised some very legitimate concerns there. I mean, not having managed in quite literally 25 years is certainly an area of concern. Last time he managed was in Charleston in 1998. Uh, for those that are curious, he spent two years there, 97, 98, and then the year prior, 96, he was with... Uh, Columbia apparently it was an independent league the big south league for anyone that's curious about that I've never heard of that one in particular I may have to do a deep dive on that but regardless yeah it is a little weird you don't really have much managerial experience at least not much since uh really from perspective not much since Dusty Baker became a manager so that is kind of concerning to me I will agree with you on that I also would have thought they would have wanted to go more, I guess, more indie ball knowledge route on it. 
You have a new ownership group coming in that, to my knowledge, has never really owned a professional baseball team before. Certainly not owned a baseball team on this level before. So with that in mind, I would have thought the preference would have been to get a guy that, you know, has been around the game, been around the systems that are indie ball before. This would have been the kind of thing that, you know, there, there would have been, I thought, a lot more other options for it. That you could have went there now of course none of them immediately come to my mind but at the same point i'm sure you could have found at least two or three other guys obviously you know he does have experience he's a 14 year uh he's been in baseball for 14 years he spent seven years in the major leagues he's been around you know affiliated minor league baseball for some time as well so that is important on a, in a sense because you do need to know the operational sense you need to know the day-to-day sense and it gives you more of a perspective but as far as on the field goes it is a little interesting but I still wouldn't say he was unqualified so you know like I wouldn't necessarily track up him being directly related to you know the owner of the team being the main reason he got hired at least not the main reason, or the only reason, I should say. I think he is still a qualified candidate to be a manager. It just, it felt like they could have done a little bit better. Uh, and I also do kind of wonder if because they're starting to get everything up and running off the ground, if it's kind of like, hey, can you come in here for like a year while we get everything settled and under control, and then we'll bring in a more permanent guy if you don't want the job. I could see that being it. That's just mm-hmm. kind of speculation on my front. I think I think you put it. I think you you put it in, in the right way, Nick. It, it seems like they just could have done a little bit better. Maybe it really is just like a short term, um, a, a short term type of hire uh, to kind of try it out. But uh, I think that I don't know because you know, of course like. You never want to be the guy that, like, I never want to be the guy that sits up here and says, like, oh, you just need to keep recycling the same indie ball managers over and over and over again. Uh, and certainly guys that uh, that have gotten opportunities as first-year managers have also done very well. Um, and, you know, especially one that comes to mind without a whole, a whole lot of managerial experience or any coaching experience as well is Bobby Jenks, as we'll talk plenty more Grand Junction Rockies later in the show. But I think that... Uh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit different in the sense that you know Bobby Jenks was was playing up until I don't even know like 2015, 16, something like that. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it has been a long time since Lions has been in a dugout. So uh, generally, as me a uh, you know, I I don't really consider myself too I guess old school per se. Mm. Uh, it's it's one that raises some eyebrows, but I mean, it could still very well end up working. Uh, and I, I don't, certainly don't know a whole lot about his managerial tactics and whatnot. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting, but uh, I mean, we'll see if it works out for him, but it also, it, you, you, you also mentioned it, Nick, that it could also be just a, a short term, a looking in the short term, trying to get the, the new, team with the new ownership group off the ground and then move on in the future i don't even know if lions wants it long term but i guess only time will tell on that yeah and as far as jinx goes it was 2011 was his last year but that's you know that's yeah, just semantics think, yeah. it's the, the point still remains is 
he was playing within the last 10 years. So that said, I do agree with that. I think that they pro I, I would have tried even looked to see if you could have found a recently retired independent ball guy that kind of just been sitting and I got talking for a while, you know, that kind of guy, maybe a guy that was a player coach and moved them into that position. I feel like there was a lot of options there uh, that they could have explored too. But I also understand going with somebody that you know in year one, so that you're comfortable with in year one, certainly. And uh, I guess we'll have to see how it winds up uh, playing out there. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all goes. Uh, but we do have other things to cover today. And so we will move on to the next piece of news, which is we have a bit of a shakeup coming in the American Association to their media production. Which is to say, Carter Wadeel, a guy that a lot of us know in the sense of he's kind of like the face of the American Association for the Media uh, Department. He did the whip arounds. He did uh, the special like Game of the Week broadcast, did a lot of the other stuff as well. Uh, he has moved from the American Association to the Kansas City Monarchs, so still in the league, but in a different role now, he's going to be the Monarchs' play-by-play uh, -play voice, as well as their director of broadcasting and media relations. Uh, I assume this means that Dan Vaughn is out in that position. I don't know for certain, but I would imagine that's they're not going to have uh, two people in the same role. That'd be just very redundant in that capacity. But yeah, so he's going to be taking over in that position. And as far as the American Association goes. Uh, they're going to need to find someone else to take Carter Rodriguez's job. I know that the position he formerly had, they currently are circulating their, hey, if you're interested in doing this, hit us up uh, flyer post thing that they always send out for these types of things. So if you're interested in becoming the new face of the American Association, hit them up. But uh, yeah, Carter Rodriguez goes from the league to the Amer or goes from the American Association to the Monarchs and uh, yeah it just seemed like something of note to mention because he has done a very very good job and been a, one of the driving forces behind a lot of those innovations that we've constantly said like I like the fact the league's very active I like the fact the league is you know doing this doing that he was a big force behind that so uh, certainly going to be interesting to see who they get to replace him in that capacity. Yeah, I really like this. I mean, Carter's done an excellent job with the American Association in general and the Game of the Weeks and all and all these other the whip around and all that good stuff. And I think that, I mean, he's done a, a terrific job there. And it's really cool to see him, you know, get the opportunity to kind of run his own uh, broadcast with the team and his, uh, his own media department. That's uh, certainly uh, something I think that's really cool. I think... Uh, a great hire and certainly well deserving. It's funny because, like, I was, I was almost wondering, and now I guess the answer is, uh, the, I guess the answer is been given to us now. Like, is it a, an, a, is it an upgrade to go from, I guess, for lack of a better term, like the league's broadcaster to a, um, to a team in that same league? I guess the answer is yes. Now that we've, now that we've found out, but um, yeah, I mean, good for him. I, I think that. Uh, I think he certainly deserved. It's kind of crazy. He's still only 26, yeah. but um, he's, he's still really young. And I say that as a 22 year old, so older than me, but uh, I think that it's, 
it's it's really cool. He's certainly well deserving. There's not many people who know the American Association inside and out like he does. Um, and to get a job, not only just with a American uh, with an American Association team in general, uh, but just but the Kansas City Monarchs, probably the most prestigious franchise. Uh, in in the league is I mean it's great for him it's great for the Monarchs I think it's uh, it, it's it's great all around so really really happy for him and he certainly deserves it yeah absolutely he was with the Canaries before this eighteen to twenty and uh, yeah he he knows his way inside out I agree with you well seeing someone that's basically my age because I'm twenty five and Carter's twenty six seeing someone that's basically my age just like yeah just go and run this whole team's media department is kind of crazy to me. But at the same time, too, it is, uh, I guess it does make a lot of sense. It's just kind of weird when you start seeing people that are about equal to you in, like, age and in other areas, uh, basically doing these things. It's kind of, it just it freaks you out a little bit. But, yeah, it is a fantastic opportunity for him. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's also a New Jersey guy, too. So that would probably explain it. When you have the opportunity to bring someone from New Jersey and your organization is going to get better, so you just got to take advantage of it. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, we love New Jersey. I mean, this is really. a pro New Jersey podcast, so exactly. Uh, I mean, like anybody, anybody's from Jersey, you automatically get bonus points. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's a given because I mean, it just it makes things better. There's a reason why the state runs well, by and large. Those asterisks in there because those asterisks are important, but yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So I I don't think there's too much else to say on this matter, but yeah, I was just kind of. Kind of just wanted to point it out because I know a lot of people uh, listen to those whip arounds, do a lot of those things, and uh, we'll be interested in it. Um, uh, with that, I guess we can go right to our interview now. We made people wait about 20 minutes for it, so we should probably get in on it. It's about a half hour long. Uh, this past week, I spoke with the president of the Grand Junction, for whatever reason, I always want to call them Colorado, but I know they're not Colorado, I know the Grand Junction, formerly Rockies, but currently Jackalopes, which is a fantastic new rebrand, we do talk about it, and it is a, uh, I thought it was a pretty decent interview, I thought it was pretty solid, we touch on a lot of like actual baseball team construction elements, we touch on the rebrand, we touch a little bit on the differences because if you remember being in the Pioneer League, they were previously an affiliated team and now are independent. We touch on some of those differences as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty solid interview. I enjoyed doing it. You know, Nick, Nick's the one who conducted the interview. Got a chance to listen to it as well. Certainly solid, informative interview. And, I, I mean, as far as that, that transition from from uh, – from being affiliated to to independent ball, something that Nick was been around, was around for as well. So a lot of interesting perspective there. So I think I think everyone will enjoy it as well. Yeah, no, he was definitely around for that, and it's a very interesting interview on a lot of fronts. So I guess we'll just let you guys get right to it. Here's our interview with Grand Junction Jackalope President Mick Ritter. We are back again with another interview this week. It's been a long time coming, but we managed to get back on the interview circuit. And this week, we go back to the Pioneer League, and we are going to talk to the president of the Grand Junction Jackalopes, no longer the Grand Junction Rockies, and Mick Ritter. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing good, Nick. Thank you for uh, thanks for having us on here. I'm happy to have you on. It's our pleasure. So, uh, I guess the best way to start with this is getting to what I mentioned in that little intro there, which is a bit of the rebrand. Uh, we'll obviously get to a lot of baseball talks. I know that's what the bulk of people want to talk about is, you know, on the field because you guys had a fantastic year this year in the Pioneer League. But I feel like I got to jump on the Jackalopes early on and just talk a little bit about that rebrand out of the gate because I know it was something that a lot of people were saying, oh, well, now that you're, you know, on an, in a new uh, level of baseball, maybe a new brand is attached to it. So I guess just kind of walk through that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to throw it at a little bit back, I, I never really realized how, uh, how much a rebrand, how much time it takes up. You know, it's, it's a lot of time to, to figure out what we're doing and, and which direction we want to go with the rebrand. But, um, to start it off, we really wanted to get our community involved within the Grand Junction area and Western Slope of Colorado. Um, so we put it out into the public for a bunch of suggestions and, and we, we received almost just over 1100 suggestions back and really? Jackalopes was on there. There was a, there was a lot of different names on there that we liked. Um, but Jackalopes was on there. We, we had to run it through some, some trademarking processes and stuff like that. And it came back as it was our ownership's favorite. It was, it was the front office's favorite and, and the people we spoke with about it, they were like, yeah, we love the name. We should you guys should change to that. And so we, you know, we went within, we started that, that point, we started the design process, which, um, designing a new logo and, and all that new colors. That's, that's not an easy process to do, but luckily we, we have somebody in house within the, the corporation that, uh, that did it all for us. And so we, we were able to get with him and, and, uh, you know, kind of nitpick everything that he was yes. doing per se. And, and we fi- we figured out what we wanted to do, and you know I think the the logo itself, if you if you look at it, it represents the Grand Junction area in Western Slope of Colorado really well as as Western, um, old town, desert, high desert, mountain area, and everything like that. So yeah, I I know certainly when we saw the rebrand, both me and Will, who unfortunately couldn't be here, he had some thing come up kind of last minute on him but uh, we both were very big especially well into that rebrand because the name just kind of it seemed to fit not just the greater i guess colorado region but it also just kind of fit with the theme of minor league baseball where it wasn't like one of these kind of real crazy names like you see like with uh trash pandas or something like that but it also wasn't way too safe and traditional like you sometimes see as well and it just seemed like it blends that line of like serious but fun and the logo came out really nice too and it's it's going to be very interesting to see uh, eventually when you guys get to the uniforms and everything what that looks like because personally i was a big fan of that rebrand uh when it got announced yeah yeah absolutely you know and and like you said it's it's something different we're we're not uh we're not going with that that simple name of of the rockies but we're also not going with this this crazy extravagant minor league baseball name like you said the trash pandas or even the the new orleans baby cakes and stuff like that you know there's some crazy names out there but but the jackalopes i think represents the the pioneer league as well as if you, you know there's a bunch of articles within wyoming colorado utah and idaho where there's all these there's funny articles about the jackalopes that people yeah. are putting out in newspapers and magazines and stuff so i think it represents the pioneer league as well yeah it definitely gets to the the heart of the region well and you guys certainly sent off the rockies namesake on a high note winning a championship against one of the teams that i think 
generally was thought of as one of the real premier teams of the Pioneer League in Missoula this past year. And we had talked to the Missoula manager earlier in the year and, you know, he walked us through that. So I guess now looking at it from your guys' perspective, how was that season for you guys, that past season where you go on, you win the second half, you get real hot in the postseason, you go on, and you win a championship. But I guess the last season was the Rockies and uh, the first championship since, if I'm not mistaken, the 80s for the franchise. Yeah, so you're, you're right. I think 1981, that when the team was in Butte, Montana, was the last Oof. time, if you trace it back, yeah. um, that, uh, that the team won the franchise per se won yeah. won a championship but um yeah missoula and, and michael schlack he does a good job of, of finding players and and competing year in year out um especially with this new format yeah. um so they're doing a good job up there and they were a good team they were the best team all year um record wise and everything and and like you said we we had a good first half we we took second in the first half behind ogden but that that second half the the team clicked we found they, the um, chemistry within the team and the locker room and everything, it just clicked really well and they started playing great. And I mean, it, it, it definitely showed by our second half record and, and obviously going into the playoffs um, and, and winning, you know, we, we in game two against Ogden in the division series, um, the team looked kind of, yeah. kind of down. So we were, you know, they were a little, yeah. little upset after that game, but uh, it, it ended up being really well. So, yeah, and no, it certainly was one of the better stories to watch because I know a lot of times what I do just because of the time difference was I go from watching either, say, the Frontier League or the American Association. I'd be able to flick over and catch like the last four or five innings of the Pioneer League game and watching some of the Grand Junction games. I was like taken back by it. I was like, this team is a lot better than what the record would say they are, better than what the numbers would say they are. And it seemed like they just really kept rolling. And I noticed when I was kind of looking over everything before this, uh, was that it seemed like the team was a surprisingly good pitching team, despite what the ERA may say, because there was a good number of strikeouts, low walks, low hits. It I'm just kind of wondering, was like that kind of aggressive pitching something that was a plan from the get-go to have the kind of, okay, we're going to go out, we're going to try and get outs, and sometimes it's not going to quite work out. But when it does work out, it's going to show up in a positive way. We're really going to see good results. Was that something that was kind of planned, or was that just kind of, hey, this is just the way the roster shook out? No, I mean, it, it wasn't, wasn't, I wouldn't say it was necessarily planned. I mean, the, the yeah. thing about the Pioneer League, and this is, this goes back a long, long time, is yeah. that the, the ERAs are always going to be a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if somebody, if, if a pitcher in the Pioneer League has under a four ERA, that's, that's, they're doing, yeah. they have an unbelievably good year. Um, but, but we knew that with our pitching that our, our pitchers were going to throw a lot of strikes. They were going to get a lot of strikeouts. We had two, two of our guys, one of our starters and one of our, he started half the year, um, and then relieved for us as well. They both were top five in the league in strikeouts. So we knew that they, they were going to throw strikes and that we also knew that they were going to give up some hits as well. Um, but on the other side of it, we knew our hitters were going to be able to do their job and um, pick up the pitchers when they gave up two, three runs. Uh, we knew that we were going to score four or five runs, too. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was going to be the next point I make, which is it seemed like they were a very power heavy team this year. You know, a lot of really strong kind of slugging numbers, home run numbers, all the power numbers you like to see. And it seemed like, and obviously, you know, the batting average to say it was middle of the league, it still was above 300. So, I mean, you're hitting 300. It's not a bad thing at all, but the walks were lower. So it seemed like more we're going to take advantage of what we can get but also being in the pioneer league i imagine just being in those markets and i imagine the uh altitude kind of helps with power a little bit but again i, I wouldn't necessarily know all that much about it being as i'm in uh i'm in new jersey and not colorado or or montana or something like that oh absolutely absolutely i mean the altitude is such a big factor out here i mean we're in Grand Junction, we're sitting just under 5,000 feet. Um, so ball definitely flies and we have yeah. a pretty short porch in left field. So those right-handed hitters, they're coming up and they're going, well, I can, it's 302 down the line with a double wall. And those, those guys are going, well, I can hit it out that, that yeah. direction really easily. Um, but they, you know, it, it, it's, it's also a big park when you look at it, when you jump from 302 and then in left center, it's 415. So it's, there's, there's a big park. There's a big, um, alley there that uh, hitters like to go for but yeah, yeah you're right i mean we, we definitely hit a lot of home runs this year our slugging was up um and that's that's just to test for the, the park itself 302 down left field line 330 down the right field line you know that's that's a pretty short porch for lefties and righties but then when you got 415 in left center and and 400 in right center i mean that's a that's a pretty big park for mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of doubles a lot of triples as well yeah, and no, so it definitely does kind of encourage that. And I imagine that makes the games perhaps more interesting for a casual fan, too, when you have a lot of these, like, doubles and triples and home runs and things happening, a lot more offense. Obviously, you know, baseball purists are more hardcore baseball fans. There's a lot more interest in a 2-1 to game or a one nothing game. But if you're just kind of going as a casual fan, just going for a night out, you know, a 7-5 game or a... 10 11 games a lot more interesting than 3-2 right oh fans love the home run um mm-hmm. and and that's really why we we as a league created the the knockout round yeah. um which you know instead of doing extra innings we do the knockout round which is basically a home run contest uh between the two teams and so when it, it you know fans are more interested in the casual fan you yeah. say is is more interested in in a home run than um a two to one ball game where, where a pitcher is, it's kind of a, yeah. what you call a pitcher's duel, but, um, sometimes the two to one ball game isn't necessarily a pitcher's duel. Sometimes yeah. the guys just can't really hit or they're hitting a lot of ground balls or something. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's entirely fair too. I mean, I remember seeing a, a no hitter this past year and it was as much a, an impressive feat by the pitcher who I believe threw over 120 pitches too. So that, that was impressive certainly, but the offense he was going against just seemed kind of limp it just it it really wasn't quite there and obviously you throw a no hitter it's still extremely impressive but you know it it, you definitely get the games where it's just the offense failing more than the pitcher succeeding so i agree with that yeah so before we move on to some other areas here i do want to talk about probably one of the bigger signings from the past offseason which was the the newest manager of at that point the grand junction rockies in bobby jenks i'm just kind of wondering how that came about because i know certainly when we saw it we were like oh this is part of a 
of a larger trend of having a lot of really notable baseball guys as managers in this league. And so I was wondering, how do you manage to get a, a former major league pitcher to be your manager? And obviously, uh, it worked out extremely well. And I'm just how much of a role did he have in building this team and just in the team in general? Yeah, so we uh, Bobby was our pitching coach in 2021, and mm-hmm. really we kind of we got pretty lucky. Um, yeah. He he was looking into um, he he was with the uh, Chicago White Sox within yeah. their organization as a as a roving pitching coach, and and he kind of was tired of traveling around. He's got some young kids, yeah. and, and he wanted to kind of stay put in one place. Well pitching coach position opened up in Grand Junction and and he happened to see it by um, our manager at that time um, and he applied for it, interviewed for it and obviously you know Bobby Jinx former yeah. World Series champion closer for the White Sox where we're definitely going to put him in high consideration yeah. for the job and so we brought him in and and he did a great job as a pitching coach he, he was fantastic and then um, as the as 2021 ended, he expressed his interest in being a manager because our current manager said he wasn't going to come back as a manager. He was a little bit old, on the older yeah. age, but uh, so we immediately were like, "Well, let's see what Bobby can do as a manager." And and um, you know, it, it's it's definitely great to have a guy like him because of one, he's he was in the big leagues, he knows what it's like to get to the big leagues, as well as he has limitless contacts of scouts agents um player development departments within major league baseball who are are letting him know what type of player that these major league teams are looking for um so you know that made it definitely easy for him to call his contacts and and say hey this is the guy i'm looking for i need a shortstop i need somebody who is doing this and and fortunately it worked out for everybody so um but yeah he you know he did a great job this year and as the record shows and the championship shows, it was it was great. Um, we had a great year with him. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you bring in a name like that, too, it's going to draw a lot of interest and it's going to draw a lot of eyes in. And obviously, like we've been saying, it worked out fantastically. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to uh, with those connections, is it always like, like, how does he grow that mark? Obviously, you know, he was a major leaguer, so that's part of it, too. And being with the White Sox for a little while, it's uh, that helps a lot here. But in more than that, though, is it just like always the same few people or is it just kind of like, OK, I know I have a shortstop guy or I have a couple of pitcher guys or is there like a certain type of guy, I guess, is what I'm more or less trying to ask that he goes to uh, to try and get a certain type of player? Um, you know, it's, it's not so much going to one guy or the other. Um, we, it, within this new setup that this league has, you know, you have to, you have to utilize your contacts as much as you can. Um, and that, and that's not always just a a scout or an agent or something like that. You know, we, we use the frontier league managers. Um, you know, sometimes they have a guy that just may not fit their roster. Um, they have a, a, a sixth outfielder or something like that. And we only have three outfielders. Well, they got to release one outfielder, and we need we need one more. Maybe he's a great fit for us. So, so they they may reach out to us and say, "Hey, I got a guy that's good player, and and he he'll come over to us and be a great player for us." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we we as a team, we had a our our manager from 2021. He uh, he helped us out at the beginning of the year and finding players as well as throughout the year if we needed a guy. 
um, to fill in a spot or, or kind of just on the, on the back burner if somebody got hurt or something like that. But, um, yeah. And, you know, you know, we really rely on our coaching staff and Bobby and our hitting coach and, and Toby Hall to, to find these players for the team. Mm, definitely. And I, they obviously do a great job at it. So I guess, uh, where I kind of want to take this next is we keep talking about the, the changes in the Pioneer League. And obviously the largest change came end of 2020, beginning of 2021, when they went from affiliated to unaffiliated. And so you've been with the team for, for a while now, mid 20 teens, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I'm just kind of curious to know from your perspective, how was that making that change? Because that's not an insignificant move. That's not, you know, just switching leagues or bumping up on a talent level thing. That's going from, you know, having, your roster paid for by the major league club, having the split ticket sales a certain way. It's a completely altering the way you're doing business, taking out a lot more on the expense side and just having to figure out a lot of things where before it never really was that way. So I'm just kind of curious now looking back on it with, you know, about two years or so of time having passed, what was the transition process like? Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you're right. I've, I've been with the team since 2014. Um, it was a huge transition and, and there's, there's goods and there's bads. Um, you know, I, I like the, the new format that we're with right now is, is great. I, I think it, it's meshing well and, and we're doing a really good job within the, the league, um, running it the way that it, it's, it is as an independent league. Um, but you know, the, the downfalls is, is one, you know, we don't, uh, here in Grand Junction, at least I'm not a hundred percent sure on the other teams, but we used to, as the, the Colorado Rockies would draft a, a first round through fifth round guy, we, we were pretty much guaranteed to get that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had Brendan Rogers here, we had Kyle Freeland here. So these are some big name guys that yeah. are in the big leagues right now. And, and those were drawing fans just because they were the number one draft picks. Um, now we don't have that. The, the big difference is now with, with the competition level. Um, I think it's more uniform across the league. Um, mm. you, you know, you're, you're not gonna, we, there's, there's a few teams in the league that haven't had the best two years mm. of records, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot of teams that are, are doing really well and, um, putting up good records and, and having good teams. But I think that the level of competition from team to team, each team has a guy that's throwing up to 95. Each team has, has hitters that are hitting home runs and, and where in the past the difference was, is yeah, maybe we'll have one or two guys, but then, but then we also have a bunch of 18 year old kids that have, have only played high school baseball. And now all of a sudden they're facing 95, 96 miles per hour and they're, they're not necessarily um, performing as what they they want to be. Yeah. So I think that the the level of competition from team to team is um, pretty similar compared to what it was as far as affiliate went. Um, but you know another another good thing that we have now is we we do have control over all of the players. Yeah. So where. I mean, it's not like we're, we're yeah. forced them to do a bunch of different things, but if we have a, if we want to do a kids camp or something like that, we don't have to get approval from the, the higher ups and player development. And, and we're, we're doing autograph signings. You know, it's just, Hey guys, we, we're having a, an autograph signing session from this time to this time at this location. I need everybody to be there. They all show up. So that's a, that's a definitely a nice, nice thing to do, um, compared to what it was 
prior to the um, affiliation part. Yeah, I, I know when we had uh, Jesse Scaglione on a while back, that was one of the things you talked a lot about too, where it was like, you know, in their case, because he was with Lexington, he was like, we weren't necessarily expecting to be one of the cut teams. And so, you know, we were kind of pissed off about that when it came through, but we kind of found out we traded a little bit of security in favor of having a lot more freedom, and that opened the door to a lot of different things, and it sounds like on some level that's what you're talking about here, where you traded a little bit of, you know, having those top-tier draft picks that you could kind of reliably bank on drawing a crowd in exchange for being able to do a bunch of different things and being able to try different things, and it seems like, in a way, the ceiling got raised up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would definitely describe it as that. You know, like you said, it's you, you you traded some some good for some bad and some bad for some good. Um, and I would say mostly mostly it is a hundred percent good. But you know, it's it's like you said. You know, we can we can have a lot of different. We can do a lot of more things on the field. We can have a lot more fun with the players, and we don't have to worry about um, you know somebody who signed a. $2 million signing bonus getting hurt or, or not wanting to do something because, you know, all he's going to do is call his agent and we're not going to be able to do something, but you know, all of our players get paid the same wage. So they're, uh, they're, they're basically, uh, they're coming here to play baseball and want to succeed and move up to the next level. And we understand that, but at the same time, they understand that uh, the fans are the ones that are, are uh, keeping this team here. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really like about independent baseball. One of the things I I always say when I talk about comparing the two, when I go to an affiliated team, I just you can tell that the desire to win, while it's there, isn't overly there. It's like okay, there's a set goal in mind, the roster and the lineup has been put together for explicit reason, and you can just kind of tell that. But with independent ball. That desire to win, that kind of hunger to be like, okay, I'm kind of in for lack of a better term, the last chance you of baseball here. I want my career to continue. I want to be able to build it. So I have to go out. I got to try and win. I got to try and do my best. And you know that the best players are going to be in the starting nine every day. And if you're not up to the grade, then you're just not going to be around for a while. And I'm not sure how much that translates to for the average person. I'm sure it's not on the top of their list. But I know for me personally, that was just one of the things that I really do like about uh, independent ball. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of my most favorite things too, is, is when I talk to people um, within the community about the differences and, and my favorite thing to say is, you know, as, as a fan, you're going to come out to a game and you're going to see the everyday shortstop. You're going to see an everyday center fielder where in the past they, you know, it it's, we're moving, a guy from third base to shortstop to second base. Oh, the next night he's playing right field or, you know, he's this, these players are playing all over the place trying to get this feel, but you know, here it's, Hey, we got an everyday shortstop. We've got this everyday center fielder. We may move a guy from, from first base to right field or something just to give him a, a break or, or give somebody else a break, but it's, it's not going to, you're not going to see a different guy in, in a different position every single night. Um, and, and I think that's really great to, to have. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I, it just makes it feel like in my mind, less developmental and just more like actual baseball to me. Cause I got just as like a competitor, I just, I, for me, I couldn't go out there saying, all right, I know I'm out here so that way the guy standing to my left can get more reps as a, you know, whatever position it may be and get more at bats. And I'm just kind of here to fill a spot. Like 
and knowing that, you know, maybe we win, maybe we don't, but it doesn't really matter. Like, to me, if you're going to play the game, you're playing the game to win. You're playing the game because it matters. So, yeah, I always yeah, love seeing no. that. Winning is definitely a, a much higher on the list of, of things and goals to do for each one of the players that are coming to our team where, again, in the past, you know, they, they wanted to win. They yeah. wanted to succeed. But at the same time, you know, you'd have somebody coming down and telling them, hey, I need you to work on this type of thing today. And, and maybe it succeeded or maybe it didn't or or they did work on it. And it was a good good deal. But also but at the same time, they went over four at the plate yeah. and the team lost by six runs. Um, but you know, in their book, they, they look at a, a video and say, Oh, I did that. And it looks good. Okay. We're, we're fine with that. Uh, just keep working where now it's, you know, if somebody goes over four, yeah. they're pretty, un- they're pretty upset when they, uh, come into the locker room and they go, man, I was over four and our team lost by six runs. I need to figure something out and something needs to change or I'm not going to be in the lineup anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess on on that note, I do want to just ask about what's it like when a player has their contract pur- purchased. Obviously, there's a, a formal process of you know moving the player over to whatever major league organization or foreign league you know got the player. But just what's that feeling like, knowing that they, knowing just the behind the scenes of everything and what it means for the individual guy. What's that kind of feeling like now in independent league uh, ball? Yeah, it's it's a little bit different. I mean, you know, when when a player with the uh, affiliated players, um, they they would move up. We'd have one or two each year, so not not too many. Um, but you know, now it, and that they're just moving one level up or something. Yeah. But but as uh, it, it's it's kind of one of those really cool things because most of the time, if uh, a scout's gonna looking at a player they're going to reach out to myself or our coaching staff and get some information on on a player and see see what they if they could get their contact information and they're they're looking at them and what what have you but um it's it's really cool because you know when, when we get to go back there it's usually myself and and the coaches that tell the player hey you're getting picked up by the Washington Nationals congratulations here's here's the you know you've been talking with him and and get the gets travel information here's your your goodbye papers basically yeah. and and you know it's it's a smile on their face because that's that's their dream and that's what every player's dream is to is to do is potentially make it to the big leagues and and that's not an easy feat to do but you know if, if they can uh, get their foot in the door at an affiliated location then we're all for that yeah, I mean that that just must be such a great experience seeing, you know, the reaction on the player's face to to that information seeing that okay, I'm one step closer to everything I've been working for since I was a kid. And so uh with that, uh I know we're approaching the half hour mark, so I only have two questions left and then uh we'll give you some time at the end to to talk a little bit about whatever it is that you want to promote or anything like that as we always do around here. Uh, because you've been very generous with your time. But uh, the two things I have left, and we'll start with the first one here, which is just, obviously, the Pioneer League has grown a lot. They've done a lot of very good things, uh, both on the field, off the field, promotional-wise. So I was just wondering if you could give me like your favorite thing they've done and one thing you'd like to see them kind of improve on or address as the next big move. Um, yeah, I think, you know, so far my favorite thing is, is the, uh, the knockout round, you know, our, our home run derby contest at the end of the game. 
Um, you know, as the business side, it, it's it's uh, not a lot of fans stick around for uh, extra inning baseball, and yeah. and you're wasting pitchers, and you know sometimes you got to throw a position guy to throw pitch throw some pitches out there. But yeah. you know the knockout round has been actually just a, a huge um, fan favorite since we've had it, and it, it gets the fans pumped, it gets the players pumped. Um, so that's, that's been my, my absolute favorite, um, thing that we've done. And I, and I think the league's done a lot of really good things too. Um, but you know, as I I would like to see, and and we are working on this right now is, is getting our, as a league wide, um, getting our streaming and our video production as a league better. And that's, and that is currently what we are working on right now. Um, so we're hoping by 2023, every team in the league has a great video production. And, and if, you know, you're sitting at your, at your house and you're in New Jersey, like you are, and you can watch a Grand Junction Rockies game, but then you can also, or a Grand Junction Jackalope, sorry. <laughs> um, also you can flip over to a, a Rocky Mountain Vibes game or, uh, you know, a Missoula Paddleheads game as well. And, and it's going to be the same level of production. So that's what we're working on right now. And, I think we're going to get there. It's just it just takes a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely does take some time and they also made some very good strides last year introducing the uh, uh what was it the uh, Pioneer League base or the Pioneer Baseball League Roundup show, if I'm not mistaken. That was a really cool introduction as well. So, they're definitely making moves on that front. So that's uh that is something I'm interested to see how the streaming all works out. And the last thing I have, it's completely and utterly baseball unrelated and if anyone that knows knows that when I do the deep the deep dive research, I just pull up obscure things. And so one of the things I found was that you managed a Sheridan hotel for a while. And I gotta know, is there any sort of I guess for lack of a better term, and I can't believe I'm using this term, is there any sort of a life hack with Sheridan hotels? Because I know personally I want to see a lot of baseball uh this year, and some of that's gonna involve traveling. So if there's a life hack at a Sheridan, I'd be very interested to know um that's a good question that's been a while um you know i if you're a if you're a starwood which i believe they still are if you're starwood hotels member you get some pretty good um and you stay at a sheridan you you get some pretty good little benefits um cookies waters and little things that they'll put in your room but you have to be that starwood member um another little hack too it, when you're filling out the, if you're online and filling out stuff and they yeah. say, is there any special requests? Always put in a special request because I'd say probably about 90% of the time you're going to get that special request. Uh, see, these are the, these are the very helpful tips that both baseball people and non-baseball people come to this show for tips like that. And yeah. So, yeah. Ab- absolutely. I mean, little things that I, I yeah. wouldn't say request for, uh, you know, all kinds of things, but, um, you know, you could request for a, a higher up room or, or a room close to the elevator and that type of stuff. And, and they'll, they'll honor it pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. So, in exchange for giving that tip, I suppose the only fair thing to do, because you've given us a half hour of your time, very generous, uh, I guess we'll give you five, ten minutes here at the very end uh, to say anything you want to say, promote anything you want to promote, uh, if you want to go back to a topic that maybe we didn't touch on uh, all that long on, or something that we just didn't really get to that you wanted to talk about, uh, now's the time to do that. The, the floor is yours. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I definitely appreciate you having me on and, and this has been a great time and, and it's good to get the Pioneer League out there and also the Grand Junction Jackalopes, formerly the Rockies. But, you know, we, we've got a, a lot of stuff going on right now with, with the name change and the rebrand, got some merchandise here locally. And unfortunately we don't have as much as we want, but we, uh, we're getting some hats in and, and getting a lot of different stuff. But, you know, we, we've got a new manager that we're going to release, um, here pretty soon and a press release on him he, we're definitely excited to have him he's been around the game of baseball for a long time and him and i've been talking a lot about players and and getting some guys that were on this team to come back for for next year and finding some new guys as well so um you know we're just definitely looking into a looking forward to a great 2023 season and and what it has to bring with the new ownership new team new brand everything so we're we're hoping that it's a uh, Hoping that it's going to be good and we're going to make it the best for every fan that we can. Yeah, Looking to run it back, another championship, no doubt. And I know uh, once you guys start getting more merch and you're able to ship it, I'm certainly looking forward to picking up a Jackalope's hat or, or a shirt or something like that. Because like I said, I, I really do like the rebrand. I think the rebrand is really well done. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Uh, definitely looking Thanks. forward to having you back on again. If you want to come back on, come the spring right before the season starts, talk a, talk a little bit more about all that. Uh, certainly would love to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me know. We'll be, uh, we'll definitely make the time, and uh, definitely be happy to be back on. You're right. We'd like to thank Mick for taking the time to come on the show. We definitely love to have him back on again when we get close to the start of the season. Be able to kind of talk some jackalope baseball give you guys a preview of the season and for anyone that plans on going on a pioneer league trip maybe give you a preview of what you can expect uh this upcoming year at the ballpark and in the surrounding greater colorado grand junction area so yeah uh appreciate him coming on and doing that which i just want to point out you guys are not going to hear a lot of the outtakes coming from the preface for this interview but they are fantastic and i love them that's all i'm gonna say here and i also I mean, don't know why yeah i, I mean, also don't know the, the outtakes might be better than the than the actual show sometimes honestly they may be that's why i keep the clips just in case you know one week neither one of us can record so that way i could just do the laziest thing ever which is a clip show which we've done before and i am more than open to doing again if the situation arises but yeah i think we need to do it again It'll happen. Eventually, it's going to happen. Where like I'll just go to North Dakota for a week and be like, I'm not lugging like recording equipment through the TSA. So, <laughs> outtake it is. But yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on that you guys never hear or see, which it's a shame in a way, but also it's probably a good thing in a way. But uh, I know, think it's a good thing in some ways. It's a good thing in a lot of ways, but. Uh, we do have to do one last thing this week because we mentioned last week the uh, Australian League and the American Association's partnership. And so last Friday, I went and I watched the game that they were promoting. If I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Brisbane Bandits versus GK Korea, I think is what it was. I know it was the Korean team that's in the ABL and Brisbane. I know that for G-Long? G-Long. That's it. G-Long. Okay. I knew it started with a G. I don't know why I thought it was GK. It's like their first thing, GK. I Maybe they used that as like the, the abbreviation. but that, that could very well be it. 
that could very well be it. Anyway, I was watching that game, and I gotta say, it was very entertaining. And so I threw up a couple polls saying, like, hey, guys, you want us to cover the Australian League in the winter? It could be a fun little thing to do and kind of, uh, you know, have some live baseball that I should discuss. Now, obviously, the major issue with that is being on the East Coast of the United States. Even the Game of the Week game starts at, like, 1230 at night, which is kind of a pain in the ass. I'm not going to lie. Because uh, that means that game is probably not over to like 3.30 in the morning. And as much as I like baseball, not enough to stay up till 3.30 in the morning at best watching it. So we're going to have to figure that one out. But I do want to cover the ABL a little bit. Because it does seem like a really fun league. I was enjoying watching it. There were some pretty decent plays. There was actually some a surprisingly large amount of talent there. I probably put it on like an American Association to Atlantic League type level of talent there so I'm, I'm very interested in checking this uh, Australian baseball out more it's just I don't think I'm going to be watching these games live I think that's something that we we can't really be doing because it's just too late to do that yeah I think the the timing of it makes it uh the the timing of it may, kind of makes it interesting uh but I mean there there is a lot of talent out there and a lot of you know familiar names to uh to indie ball fans that you hear in the states you'll probably you'll probably end up hearing out there too so i mean there's certainly some some good names out there and you can even see some like uh some old major league veterans i mean pete cosmos out there yeah. that's cool yeah. uh and then for example like you hear you hear a name like quincy Lattimore, and you're like wow quincy Lattimore, he's out there and he's still hitting home runs like yeah. he normally does uh, or or Red Sox legends Zoe Lynn, that too. Yeah. But, so th- there's a lot of uh, there's there's certainly it's a very talented league still, and I still think it's one that's that's continuing to grow. Uh, but I think that um, I think there's a lot. I think you'll probably notice there's a lot of similarities, but the the live uh, the live aspect of it is does make it uh, does make it difficult. Yeah, it, it's just the time of day. It's just too much, but. Like I said, the quality of baseball is really good. So far, it seems like as soon as I put out, hey, should we cover this? And I was live tweeting the one game. There was a lot of really positive feedback, a lot of help, not just from, you know, fans, obviously, but from like actual teams, team officials. So I really do think that this is something that's worthwhile to get into because it does seem like they're very interested in growing their game abroad. And like I said, it's it seems very, uh, very fun. Supposedly, the stadiums are a little bit smaller than what we have in the States. And there's some slight differences. But, you know, I kind of want to just do this. We're going to figure out Australian baseball all together at the same time thing. So I do think we'll, we'll start to cover uh, the Australian game. I would say that sounds like the perfect thing to start in the new year. I know that it only runs like november-ish to february but you know for two months I'm, I'm willing to give it some spotlight you know maybe not too much time but 15 20 minutes each week while we're in the off season doesn't seem like that much to spare you know have an interview have some australian ball talk have some news i feel like that's a pretty good uh, setup yeah i agree i think it's uh it, it's kind of a good thing to throw in there just to see like what's going on over there but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's it's a it's a great league. There's a lot of talent out there. I mean, a lot of talent. Um, so get to give it a little bit of spotlight and probably not the most like 
I mean, it's it's hard for it's hard for me to be a ABL expert at that point, but I think uh, I think it's certainly a good thing to cover. Yep, absolutely. So, kind of expect us in the next coming weeks to start to talk about the Australian league a little bit more. It'll probably be more so in weeks where we don't have uh, too much else. Like if we don't have an interview and we don't have too much news, then we'll go heavier into it. If we have a lot of news or we have a long interview or something like that, we'll probably talk less about it. But uh, yeah, we are going to start talking about it a little bit more. So uh, with that said, uh, I think we're just about done for the week. We're about an hour in. So I think that's a pretty good place to be. We're back to the over that hour mark. Uh, thanks again to Mick Ritter for coming on the show. Appreciate that. Uh, next week is the Q&A episode. And the week after that, we should have an interview again. So it looks like for the foreseeable future, we should be running pretty good on interviews um i know we should have one like i said week of the 26th then week uh that first week in january we should have one week after that i think we have one and then we should have one the week after that so we're pretty actually well booked right now we're booked for like a month solid which is nice to see having that kind of reserve there because people like the interviews we like doing the interviews and it just kind of works out really good yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's nice. It's that de- it's definitely uh, it's definitely nice to know that there's gonna be some good content for the next month, especially when there's not a whole lot of baseball unless you're uh, in Australia. Yeah, that or if you're in uh, Latin America, do you got some Dominican ball? That's you got true. some Venezuelan ball. I assume there's Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico. I assume there's other ones in Central America as well. Mexico. Uh, yeah, Mexico. I'm too. just gonna keep naming countries that. Colombia. <laughs> do they have baseball and and the other? Do they have a winter league in Colombia? I'm pretty sure they do. I'm they probably pretty have a winter sure league in like most places. Yeah, anywhere where it's warm, really. But um, yeah, but yeah. So as far as Q and A goes, because I'm going to address that before we get all in on the plugs. Um, you got a week left to submit your questions. Get them in. 23 is when we're recording it. So we'd like to get some questions in. We're at about a dozen or so right now. So be sure to fill them up here because a dozen questions is not going to make that long of a show. I'm going to be honest with you. So let's try and get some more questions going. Anything and everything. Toss them to us. We'll see what we can do as far as answering. Sooner is better. As always, we'll put up some social media posts uh, throughout the week, probably on Monday. And then again, on uh, Thursday, we'll throw up a social media post if you follow us there at Indie Ball Pod, at Indie Ball Report, Twitter, Instagram, respectively. Um, and that's where you can find uh, those polls and everything else. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. Um, that said, other plugs in addition to the Twitter and the Instagram, uh, we got Will's Twitter, Instagram, uh, at AOPB underscore news. And uh, if you want to find the show, you could do that wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. You could also find everything on the website, shows, show notes, and everything else. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all there is to plug unless we have something else left to add. The only thing I have left to add is as bad as Syracuse basketball has become. Uh, and that's pretty bad. I have to say it gives me an ounce of happiness that at least Georgetown is way worse in every facet. They absolutely suck. And I have now watched, I think, probably like three or four games of theirs in the last like 
two weeks. I mean, what a dreadful basketball program. The, there is no, the only way Patrick Ewing is still employed by that university is just because he, one, he is Patrick Ewing. Two, he's like, I guess, a legend at Georgetown because of what he did in his playing days. And three, uh, he made, he's never been good ever, but made one miracle run in the big East tournament to get to the end, to get to the, to get to March madness, got clapped by 35 points. And, uh, and yeah, so Syracuse is bad, but at least we're not Georgetown. That's all I have to say. It's going to be very embarrassing for Georgetown when they have to fire arguably the best player to ever step foot in a Georgetown uniform. It's going to be extremely embarrassing because they really were hoping that Ewing would turn that program around, and it's just not working. He is a dreadful basketball coach. I mean, just horrible. I don't, honestly don't even know where they go to fix this problem. Like the problem, like the thing is, too, Georgetown could be a good job. Like you're in a you're in a major conference for basketball. It's a decent school. Like academically, it's a fantastic school, but like athletically, it's decent. Especially if you can get that basketball program going again, you're going to be the big guy on campus. It's a basketball school after all. Just the problem is it's fallen so far. I don't even know where you go to fix it. Like, I mean, you play your games at an NBA arena. Yeah, like you have a great facility. You have the tools around you. It just is you need to recruit better. And I don't yeah. know why. I almost feel like if you're going to go with like a Patrick Ewing type as a coach, which is a guy that was a great player and you would hope has some tactical knowledge of the game and that his specialty is going to be as a game managing coach that you kind of surround him with assistants that really don't do that and are more like the administrative type that are going to handle all that other off the court stuff for him and be the main driving force in recruiting. Like, Obviously, I'm biased as a Duke guy, but the name that immediately comes to mind as someone that, if I'm Georgetown, I'm like, you know what? He would solve a lot of our problems to fix, uh, to try and help fix this program when you eventually have to fire um, Patrick Ewing. The guy is Nolan Smith. The man is a fantastic recruiter. He knows what he's doing as a coach. He's had success both as a player and as a coach. See his time at Duke. He was essentially mentored through the the, uh, Coach K system from player to coach. And now he's moved on to Louisville, obviously. But I have to imagine he'd be willing to go from either, I think he's an assistant. I think he's an assistant coach with Louisville now. I don't think it's an associate deal. I think he was an associate Duke. Got to be an assistant at Louisville. But... You get to go from assistant to head. I imagine you'd be willing to leave the ACC for that. But he just seems like he solves a lot of issues for you. And unless you're going to poach someone that has success in March Madness, I just don't really, you know, I don't know where you're going to find that guy from because you could take mid-major coaches all to live long day, but for everyone that succeeds, another three are going to fail. And, I mean, how long is it going to take for you to write off a coach? Four years? Five years? So let's say you got to fail through two before you get to one. I mean, you're still looking at almost a decade, if not more, before you finally are able to revive that program. Then after a program has been dead for like 25 years, it's kind of harder to bring it back. You still have a shot at bringing it back now when their success is only like 10 years in the past. You can recover from that, but they got to do something here. And so... I just I think you need to go for a younger guy that knows how to recruit as first and foremost the piece to turning it around because if you can get the talent you can win games on talent alone especially in the Big East you can get 
to a position where you can make a run in the tournament, do enough to, if not making March Madness, certainly making like the NIT. And that's at least better than where you're at now, which I think Georgetown fans would probably settle for. We'll take a winning record at this point. Yeah, I think um, I think Smith would definitely be a good good hire, and I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure Nolan Smith would have no problem getting out of the absolute dumpster fire that is the Louisville Cardinals right now. Hey, they got their first win this week, though. I've seen that against the, like, an 8-3 and three team in Western Kentucky. Congra- congratulations to them. They were sick. And, and, not, and I'm not a huge better, but they were Louisville at home against Western Kentucky that day. They were seven and a half point underdogs and like plus two twenty on the money line. Jesus, at home, at home. Oh God, at yeah. the KFC Yum Center. <laughs> it, there's really just going to be three ACC teams in the tournament this year, isn't there? You have to be. There's no opportunity for outside of outside of uh, outside of Duke, uh, outside of Duke UVA. And Probably, North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, there. What other opportunities is there for, like, quality like NCAA tournament wins? There is none. Maybe Miami. Yeah, true. Miami could be. Like maybe them. I could see also some random ass team like Virginia Tech getting hot again in the tour in the ACC tournament and getting in through the true. auto bid. I could see. Yeah, that. Yeah, like a bid stealer. Yeah. yeah. Because like, if we're being honest, like. I'm not going to say Duke and UNC don't try. I mean, they've both won enough ACC tournaments to tell you they try. But it also is like, at a certain point, they know we're in the tournament either way. What we're playing here for is like to go from a two seed to a one seed. That's what right. we're doing here today. So if you got guys that are banged up or they're sick or whatever it is, you also know, like, I care a lot more about getting you healthy for the tournament than I do about winning the ACC tournament. So it's like, Correct. we're going to manage some minutes here and get some guys that, you know, didn't play too much. We'll get the minutes now. So they're used to a high-pressure situation. Should we have to go to them off the bench? Like, that's what they use it for, kind of. It's like a prep tournament that you would yeah. like to win, but it isn't that important. Meanwhile, if you're like Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Clemson, you know, you're one of these schools that are, you know, the bottom feeders of the conference, you're like, this is our only shot at making the tournament. We got to go yeah. out. We got to win. And so yep. they try a lot harder, which I'm not going to lie to you. I would laugh my ass off if Syracuse won the ACC tournament. I wouldn't even totally care. Possible. Like, it, I is would, so, it is so possible. I'm I, telling you it is. I wouldn't even care if they beat Duke on that because I'd be like, we're going to win in March, so I don't really give a shit about uh, February. But... I would laugh my ass out if that got them in the tournament. They won like one round. They went one and done. And then Syracuse University was like, you know what? Jim Beheim still has it. We got to keep him around. Well, the problem is they're not going to let him. I mean, it's it, the only person who can remove Jim Beheim from his head coach of the Syracuse Orange is Jim Beheim. So I don't even think about it in the sense of, oh, like, what are they going to do to fire him? Because they're not going to. They're not going to do it. You know, right now you're just. Seeing the state of Syracuse basketball, it seems like all Syracuse basketball fans are just living like the uh, Blue Oyster Cult song of Don't Fear the Reaper. It just feels like you're living that in real time. It's not good. It's 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 rough. Oh, God. It's terrible. 
But I think we have enough basketball talk. We got enough baseball talk. We got over an hour on the show. And I got to edit this and then try to get some of the Fenway Bowling. So I think uh, we're going to top it off here. Q&A episode next week. Submit your questions, either email or social media, whatever's easier. And until next time, don't forget to play.